0: We talked to Gonzaga, we talked to Bill Walton fallout, week 10 picks, and a little bit of Halloween candy. I'm John Wilner, welcome to another episode. What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Konzano and Wilner,
1: AKA John and John. So Halloween is in the books and I gotta know John Wilner. Uh, what? how did Halloween go in your household? Do your kids trick-or-treat? How old are your kids? My kids are, let me think about that for a second. We have 15. <laughs> I love that.
0: 15, <laughs> 15 and 10. Yes, they trick-or-treat. The 10-year-old is more into it. Just the candy acquisition for sure. Uh, no, it was good. I mean, I spent part of my Halloween uh, Monday night on the phone with Mr. Bill Walton, mm-hmm. right, talking to him about our uh, our podcast that we were going to record on Tuesday, you know, I didn't get the sense that Bill was uh, too into Halloween. He really? was busy working. I mean, at the same time, you know, Bill Halloween, it's like they're w-
1: almost one and the same in some regards, right? <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. I and and I think, look, it, I, I'm I'm not surprised by anything that Bill Walton would be into or not into. Like, you know, do you do people trick or treat on the TP? You know what I mean? Do they do they come yes, knocking? Yes. Do they come knocking <laughs> on the TP door? Um, we had an interesting thing, because our kids are six and eight, and they dressed up as uh, the six-year-old dressed up as a giraffe. She had this giant giraffe head that made her about a foot taller, and then the eight-year-old was a kangaroo. But we go we go trick-or-treating in our neighborhood, and we leave the bowl of candy on the doorstep. And then my wife is one of these people. She likes to give out the full-size candy bars, Wilner, So, you know, the kids, oh. uh, the neighborhood kids know it. And we put a whole bowl of full-size candy bars on the porch while we left to go trick-or-treating. And uh, later, we returned home, and the bowl was mostly empty. But I looked at the camera footage. You know how we all have cameras now. And what do you think happened to that bowl of full-size candy bars with thing that said, take one on the bowl? What do you think happened to that bowl? some teenager took all of them (laughs) damn right the middle schoolers the second group that came to the house was these four middle school kids and one of them was dressed as jimmy garoppolo okay he had a niners jersey on he had a helmet on jimmy garoppolo got down on one knee and and emptied that bowl right into his bag like greases, whatever you know and i probably could figure out who the kids were like i like there was a moment where i was mad like man damn it they got over on us and then i started thinking I don't need those candy bars. Like I do not need those candy bars in my life. So lesson learned. I told my wife. I said we need to have some kind of dispenser out there that's that will will only give one or the honor system. Like they knew they're on camera and they still looted the bowl. You want to track that those kids down? Vigilante I, justice. <laughs> I just I felt like I should I put an Aaron Donald jersey on and come out of the bushes and tackle Garoppolo. You know I don't know, but it just. Uh, it was remarkable uh and then what happens after halloween at your household do your kids come home or are they allowed to like eat all the candy do they pour it out what happens to the candy you know they leave it uh they're allowed to have some and then they leave the rest of it in their
0: big you know the pillowcases that they use to collect it and then i i, I accidentally stumble into it over the course of the <laughs> next few days and and uh and there you go. Uh, you know, though, my kids have school. I don't know about yours. My kids have school the day after Halloween. There's some districts around here where you, the day after Halloween is is a holiday. And I think that's a pretty good idea for the parents and the kids. But uh, but ours, we were up and ready to go early the next morning.
1: We had the same thing. The, uh, the schools here are in session. Others are not. And then when the kids went off to school that next morning, I said, good luck to your teacher today uh, who has to deal with yep. 25 sugared up kids. Uh, after Halloween, what's your go-to Halloween candy? By the way, I don't think we talked about this. I saw you oh, on Twitter. You did something on Twitter yeah. about it. Hundred grand to me
0: is, you know, that is uh, the best. That, that's the Nick Saban and John
1: Wooden of Halloween candies. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. I just am. That's that, fair. It's a classic. Yeah, it's solid. Um, all right, let's let's uh, you know. First of all, you can read me at johnkonzano.com if you want to read uh, my. Analysis, my insight. I'll give you sourced, in-depth reporting that I don't think you can get anywhere else. John Wilner, where do they find you?
0: Bay Area News Group. We're at Pac-12 Hotline.com and available media outlets across the Pac-12 footprint. Uh, we should talk a little bit about uh, about the Bill Walton experience for both of us, but do we want to get into a little bit of news first?
1: Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's start with the news because yeah, I have some thoughts on Walton and it, you know that for people who haven't heard the. Walton podcast uh, you know if you're listening to this podcast the very next episode you should go back and listen to is episode 21 which is the Bill Walton interview it was a very different interview but let's talk about Gonzaga There's some news this week is Gonzaga was down in Frisco Texas last Friday to play Tennessee in a pay-per-view game that it was an exhibition money went to charity apparently the Gonzaga athletic director met with Brett Yormark of the Big 12 conference caused a big new- news story what was your reaction to that Wilner?
0: Well, I you know, it's all got to be put in, in perspective, right? I'm not sure how how newsy it is, given that plenty of conferences are talking to teams that aren't in their own league. I mean, the Pac-12 is talking to Gonzaga, right? Uh, I'm sure the Big East is too. So the degree to which it's news just depends on how eager whatever conference is in terms of getting it out there, right? Uh, Big 12 is not the only one talking to Gonzaga. I don't know where Gonzaga is going to end up. Uh, if they're going to go anywhere, right? I mean, that decision is up to Mark Few, I think, and Mark Few by himself, right? He runs that school. Uh, he runs the conference. He runs the WCC. And I don't know that he wants to finish out his career, you know, in the Big 12, uh, where the competition is much more difficult and the path to a high seat in the NCAA tournament is much more difficult. But Gonzaga could end up in the Pac 12. They could end up staying where they are. They could end up in the Big East. Who knows?
1: They, You know, I talked a few last week before that game was played, and he said that, you know, they should be exploring all their options. And it's evident that Gonzaga wants to win a national championship. He said that. I said, what is your goal? And he said, I want to win a national title. And so they're focused on what are the resources? Can they get better players in another conference? Can they raise more NIL money if they're in a bigger conference? So I think those things are more important to Gonzaga than maybe some of the other stuff that schools would consider. That said, they're in the WCC they get a double buy for winning the regular season championship. Only two other conferences, the Southland conference and the WAC give a double buy to the regular season champion. So they, they're automatically in the semifinal in the tournament. It just, it's a clear path for them. I talked to Gloria Navarez, the WCC uh, commissioner. She sort of, you know, underplayed Mark Few's comments last week about the Pac-12. I'm sure she'll do it again with the Big 12. She just said, look, anytime there's expansion talk, Gonzaga comes up. They're a great brand. They've done well in our conference. I think Gonzaga is doing its diligence here. It makes sense. They were in Big 12 territory. They talked to the Big 12 commissioner last week. Few talked about the Pac-12. I do know that the Pac-12 is interested in exploring where Gonzaga would fit, but I also don't know, Wilner, tell me what you think about this. Does basketball move the needle enough to bring in a basketball-only school?
0: Well, basketball is, you know, my understanding is it is between 15 and 20 cents on for every media rights dollar that is spent. You know, football is 80, 85 cents of it. I think that's probably a little bit more in the ACC for basketball. But in the Pac-12, it's, you know, basketball is is definitely secondary entity. Now, the thing is, losing UCLA... If you're the Pac-12, you know, Gonzaga makes sense as a replacement for UCLA in terms of getting a, a premium program. Uh, it would certainly, I'm sure, make Arizona happy to have another high-profile school, uh, basketball school in the league. Uh, so I think that there, you, there's probably ways that they can make it work so that they're an ad, right? They're not going to take a full share if they came into the Pac-12 not because they don't play football. But the Pac-12 could probably figure out a way to make it worth their while if, if this – I mean, part of it is that the presidents have to decide if they want to, you know, a school is uh, a religious affiliated school. They haven't in the past.
1: Also, you got so I think you get some pushback maybe from Oregon and Dana Altman. You you might get some pushback from Arizona, you know, as much as it would elevate the brand of the conference. Do you bring Gonzaga in and disrupt those two programs that have been highly successful and I don't know. I just don't know if that happened. I do think the Pac-12 would consider it, and I think Gonzaga would look at it. But what I see right now is Gonzaga shopping itself. And keep an eye on the SEC as well. Big 12, Pac-12, Big East, we've heard all those for Gonzaga. But Greg Sankey and Mark Few have served on a couple committees together. When I talked to Few, he kept bringing Sankey up. Few mentioned listening to our podcast with Greg Sankey. uh, What was a few episodes ago. And I think Few wants to come on with us, so we should get Few on and, and talk about some of this stuff. But I think you're right in that Mark Few will do what Mark Few wants to do. And I just don't know if leaving the WCC gives him any inherent advantages. Yeah, he's been in the Final Four two of the last five tournaments. So, you know, I don't know
0: that, yeah, I don't know that they're, they're going to be in a better position somewhere else. The other issue, too, and
1: and I haven't even looked into this, but do the Washington schools want Gonzaga in the conference? Uh, yeah, I think it's a. I think it's a real question for the basketball people in the conference. And is it enough money? When, as you point out, fifteen to twenty cents on the dollar, football's driving this conversation. Can you take a basketball brand, and do you take everything else? Do you take all their other schools? Do you their sports? Do you take baseball? Do you take women's basketball? Uh, how much of a problem does that cause? I think. I think the Pac-12 and Big 12 and Big East and everybody else is probably going to consider this, but. My bet is that Gonzaga stays right there in the WCC unless somebody just throws a windfall at them, and I just don't see that with the money involved in basketball.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's again, it is just talk, right? Um, Everybody's talking. Everybody. It's just that some conferences choose to make those those talks known publicly, and you know, I can see why the Big Twelve wants wants that out there, right? It makes the Big Twelve look good. It it helps, uh, you know, generate interest and and attention for the Big Twelve. Other conferences are doing things. Think a little bit uh, more on the down low.
1: Bill Walton did a podcast interview with us, as we mentioned. uh, Had some people, Wilner, say, "Hey, this isn't newsworthy." Bill Walton, you know, doing your podcast. What'd you make of the fallout from the Walton interview that we did?
0: Yeah, I get that. If you're not a UCLA fan, why do you think what Bill Walton has to say matters, right? Because he's kind of goofy on TV, right? He's he's does his shtick, but the bottom line is that Walton is very influential in the UCLA community, right? And what he says matters publicly, and it absolutely is going to resonate with UCLA Chancellor Gene Block. And there is not a chancellor in the history of chancellors who is more sensitive and more averse to public criticism or public conflict than Gene Block. And... To me, that's, that was what really was the, the, the meat of Walton deciding to go public is that it, it creates some resistance. Now, I don't know if it's going to have any impact whatsoever. But certainly, given Block's uh, personality and his history and aversion to public criticism, I, I think that, that to me, that was the biggest issue. The, the biggest reason why it was news
1: i think it's a hundred percent newsworthy and i think the evidence was and i don't look to espn or yahoo or other media outlets to tell me what what is newsworthy but everybody picked this up everybody picked up what he said on our podcast and what he wrote in the poem that we published is it a poem or a letter i don't know but but my my takeaway was normally we get goofy hyperbole Bill Walton waxing poetic about riding over the bridge and the mountains and the Cascades. You know, we get that Bill Walton. That he wasn't—he <laughs> wasn't that Bill Walton on our podcast. He was—he—he he sounded like a guy who really cared about his alma mater, who was really bothered by the fact that UCLA's financial problems. You know, the solution in his mind is not in the Midwest. Uh, I think this is all really interesting. And then I'll go one further. I can tell you that you—you know—I Chip Kelly came out couple days after the Walton podcast and the Walton news chip kelly comes out and starts bellyaching about the 730 kickoffs and about exposure right he's telling the LA times all this stuff that's not the same message that he had at oregon when he was kicking off at 7 and 730 it's 180 degrees different he was at, he was saying those that didn't matter back when he was at oregon so why is he doing that now i think it was sparked by sort of the lobbying that the ucla administration here's Walton doing that UC Regents meeting that you've written so well all reported and written about is coming up on the 15th, 16th, and 17th of November. So suddenly you have Walton going public. Now you have Chip Kelly publicly lobbying saying it's not in the best interest of my players to play 730 games. He never said that at Oregon. That wasn't the message he gave at Oregon. I think Chip Kelly is lobbying on behalf of the UCLA administration. That's my theory on that. Huh. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I know Chip made one crack last year
0: about like uh, a kickoff time in, in the Philippines, but uh, yeah, he usually is of, you know, we'll play anywhere, anytime. Doesn't 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 matter matter whatsoever. Uh, They are clearly hearing Look, uh, there are, there's plenty of UCLA fans and alumni and constituents who are in favor of the big 10 move, but it's not everybody. And there are absolutely folks who are against it on a variety of, of levels. I think that you can make cases for and against the move, but for UCLA to just think, Oh, there everybody's in favor is completely wrong. Uh, and, and I think Walton, you know, underscored that with what, with what he did and when he did it, right. He's, he was calculated. He is a smart guy. I mean, I agree. It was interesting to talk to him when he's not doing his on-air shtick, right? Yes. He was focused and and passionate, and he is a people don't know he is a really really smart guy, and he was calculated, in when he was going public, right? He knows there's a, the Regents meetings coming up, he knows the basketball season's coming up, and he waited four months, and and I think what he did is going to have an impact. I don't know if it's going to change anything, but it's certainly going to have an impact on on the 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 general the tone of, and and the conversation that UCLA has got to be having.
1: I, I also think, look, let, let's be clear, Bill Walton, it, the timing of this is there's two reasons he came out. He came out because he's going to have to start broadcasting basketball games and he's probably going to get asked and asked and asked. And now he can say, Hey, I've, I've, I'm on record with this. And then the second thing is the timing of the UC Regents meeting. And no doubt he's talking to people at the PAC 12 offices and. You know, a lot of what Bill Walton said echoes kind of George Klyovkov's stance. So uh, what is, you know, you've been on this. What do you think is going to happen at this regents meeting? What's the point spread right now for you?
0: Yeah, well, I I think that it is, you know, you hate to to assume with the regents, they move in mysterious ways. uh, But I am pretty sure that at that meeting, which is November 15th, 16th, and 17th at uh, UCSF, that they're going to make a decision. Um, and I believe that the athletic component to that meeting is going to be the third day, so that's going to be on the 17th. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be an open session, closed session. We don't know how they're going to go about making the decision. But uh, my guess is, and I put you know, I think it's 90% chance that UCLA is not blocked from going to the big Ten. But that's not zero. And to me, that's why this is a story is because there a possibility exists that it won't happen. And until it is 100 percent, it's 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 got to be covered. Right. I do think that there is a better, you know, 20, 30 percent chance that UCLA ends up with some kind of subsidy for Cal uh, to help compensate the Berkeley for lost revenue. And then the you know, the rest of it is they go unencumbered after all this, uh, you know, public uh, d- debate that the Regents are having and and they're unencumbered and they enter the Big Ten as scheduled.
1: I think, you know, I originally had said I give it about a 5% chance that UCLA reverses course. And, again, it would have to be their decision. It's not like uh, I don't I don't think the Pac-12 is going to have a voice in this, but the Pac-12 has got its arms open going, hey, you coming back? I originally put it at 5%. I raised it to, like, 8%. Um, I, I still think they're going to go to the Big Ten. But here's my thing. David Shaw said on media day, Wilner, that he thought, even if these schools left, that one day they would come back. That geography is like a force of Mother Nature. It would uh, it would eventually win. Geography is undefeated. Do you think someday in your lifetime, UCLA and USC return to the Pac-12 conference if they leave?
0: Well, I think that – I mean it's very interesting when you try to game out the, the next 20, 25 years of college football because there's going to be huge change coming – you know, in the next five, ten years, uh, in terms of conference reshaping the conference, and I think that there's a chance that what ends up happening is that there's just a a Western division. Maybe it's of the Big Ten, maybe it's of a different, you know, power five structure. But there's a Western division of the of the of the sport where UCLA and USC and Stanford, Cal, uh, Arizona schools, and Northwest schools are playing together. It may not be called the Pac-12, but it is basically a reformed version of it that is a division within a larger entity. But, you know,
1: Mark Few, just to dovetail these two conversations we're having, said just about last week when he talked to me, he said that he didn't understand why the best basketball schools maybe in the WCC, couldn't be in the same division as the rest of the best basketball schools in the country like you could have one huge division of 60 basketball schools that were all great and then he pointed out that like Pepperdine and you know UC Santa Barbara and some other schools that are great in baseball should be you know Cal State Fullerton shouldn't you know Fresno State with Aaron Judge back in the day like they all should be competing on the same level as the best baseball schools in the country and then so it kind of fits that model and I I think that's probably born from some of the conversations he's having on those committees where he's sitting by Greg Sankey of the SEC. Yeah, I mean the, the NCAA transformation process is going to it's
0: going to give the the big football schools a lot more uh, autonomy, but it's also going to reconfigure. Right now the NCAA tournament, you know, that money goes all the way down to like Division 3 schools and that stuff's going to change and so the tournament's going to expand there's going to be more money at the top and and i think you're going to just eventually it may take 10 or 20 years but eventually college sports is going to be
1: just structured differently than it is now for probably for all sports i'm john canzano you can read me at john talking with john wilner of the bay area news group pac-12 hotline.com can we get into the picks this week? I want to tee you, you know, up. I'm dying to hear
0: your picks cuz weren't you
1: 5 and 0 against the spread last week? I'm 12 and 2 in the last 2 weeks or 3 weeks oh. against the spread. And uh but this week I found this week really tricky. Before we start, did you feel like this week's games were trickier than maybe some of the other weeks or no? Is it just me? Maybe the pressure's intensifying on me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, 12 and 2, you got you got people people
0: pining for your next picks here (laughs) you know what i think is is each week (laughs) each week you know we got the top four schools and they're big favorites each week and so i end up thinking to myself you know do i want to keep picking uh heavy double digit favorites each week when do you want to go with uh You know, upsets, because we haven't seen very many upsets, right? We've talked about this. There is very little parity in the conference, which is good in some regards, uh, but it makes for interesting picks because I don't like taking double-digit favorites all the time, and I don't like taking big underdogs all the time either.
1: All right, so I'm going to tee you up. You go first, up the games, and then uh, let's let it rip here. Uh, let's start with the Friday night game. Oregon State yeah. is going to Washington at Husky Stadium on Friday night, 730 ESPN 2. Go. Well, just
0: from a tactical standpoint, you've got one of the best passing offenses in the country, and you've got the arguably the best pass defense in the conference with Oregon State, right? Oregon State's played great. They shut down USC. Uh, they Their secondary is as good as, as there is in the Pac-12, and Washington, you know, they're thrown for almost 400 yards a game. So I just think that that's going to be interesting unto itself. Washington's pass off against offense against Oregon state's pass defense. And the other piece that's interesting is that they have played really close games the last couple of years, right? Oregon state won by three in Corvallis and Two years ago, the Huskies won by six in Seattle. There was a controversial fourth down spot in that game. I, I just think it's going to be a really fun,
1: close game. I agree with that. Washington is a four-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. It, 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 the weather forecast is interesting. This is the first weather game, I think, of the conference season. It's going to be rainy, gusting winds. They're saying winds between 10 and 25 miles an hour on Friday night at Husky Stadium. And I asked Jonathan Smith about this this week, and he said, look, we'll take whatever happens. But he says, if we have the wind going and it's wet, we're not going to mind that. And I think, you know, he's talking about the pass attack of Michael Penix Jr., which is lethal. Um, Washington's a home favorite. Now, the home favorites are 34-1 and one this season, but I'm going to go against it. I'm going to take Oregon State in a very close game. I think the four and a half points with the weather is too much. I got it. Oregon state 27, Washington 24 and Husky fans aren't going to like the 24 points, but I think it's going to be a real weather game. I think they're going to have to run the ball. And I think wind will be a problem on Friday night.
0: Yeah. And and I'm not, I'm not sold on the Huskies quite yet. Six and two is good, but I was looking every day. They've beaten six teams. Every one of those teams has three wins right there the record of their opponents is like 18 and 31 or something so because michigan state not, is not any good i'm just not sure how good washington is the oregon state's the best team they've, they've played uh of, of the teams they've beaten you know oregon state's better than any of those teams yeah. by far so we'll see if they can kind of rise to the occasion
1: what's your uh, official pick so this would be if washington wins this game it would be their best win of the season beating oregon state a, yes. at home but i have it 27 24 oregon state i'm I'm kind of leaning into an ugly weather game, but what do you see? Yeah, yeah, like 23-16, something
0: Ooh. like that. I, I agree with you. And Oregon State's got a better running game, uh, I think, than, than the – and certainly the running game is more a part of Oregon State's, you know, what they want to do. I mean, they are a, a run-first team in a lot of ways. Um, ben Goldbranson's going to start, right, I believe? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we'll see how he does in Husky Stadium, but he's 3-0 and so far. But Oregon State, just they're naturally more of a running team. Washington is built on the passing game.
1: Second game, Oregon's at Colorado Saturday, 1230 ESPN. Uh, This is a a really good offense at at Oregon against Colorado at home. What do you see? This is one of those spreads, right? You look at it, 31, something like
0: that. It's like, golly, that's a lot of points, right? I mean, I was thinking Oregon could be ahead, you know, 50 to 14, with two minutes left and a touchdown and all of a sudden, you know, Colorado covers the old back door. Uh, that's what makes me nervous. Uh, I think it's going to be, even if the ducks don't show up, uh, they're still going to be way ahead in the fourth quarter. So I, I took Colorado just because it's so many points, right? I don't yeah. think it's going to be
1: close, but that is that's 31, and a, 31 and a half. 31 and is a lot of yeah. points, but here's what I'm thinking. O- Oregon's offense is averaging 45 points a game. You know, Colorado has been typically getting 17 to 20. They had a little bit of an outburst, so maybe they get a little more. Maybe they don't. But I think Oregon has something to play for here with the rankings coming out, sitting at number eight. I think Kenny Dillingham is also uh, playing for a uh, a possible job, um, you know, at Arizona State or elsewhere. Um, so I think... Uh, If you are an Oregon fan, I think this is a chance for Oregon to put up a 50-burger. I have it 50-14, to so I actually have Oregon covering the 31-and-a-half. I mean, 50 seems
0: reasonable given their offense. Uh, I do wonder, you know, are they going to get Bo Nix out of there as soon as they can, or do they leave Bo Nix in there to rack up some stats, Heisman kind of stuff, style points for the playoff? Those are all possibilities. The other thing, though, I wonder is – what the Ducks have got next week. Right. And so if you're them and you know, you're going to flatten Colorado and you got the Huskies next week, are they locked in enough to, to cover that 31 and
1: a half? I don't know. Yeah. So you're, I I have it 50 to 14. uh, And I I have, I think there's a chance here that Oregon could really try to pour it on. And I don't think that they are trying to disrespect Colorado, but I just, I don't think Colorado's defense is going to stop them and, I think Oregon's playing for something. Uh let's go on to the Washington State at Stanford game, 12:30 Pack 12 Networks. What's happening there? First team to 12 wins.
0: That's <laughs> that's what I've got. First team to 12 wins. I mean, neither team, neither team has gotten to 20 points since early October. Uh Stanford has scored what 16, 15 and 13 the last 3 and the Cougars have scored what is it, 17, 14, and 10, the last three? I mean, literally, first team to 12 wins. I've got, um, I think that's way too many points to me. You know, in, in a game like this, four and a half points mm-hmm. is like seven points in a normal game. We are disagreeing So I've got Stanford this. covering that. Yeah. I think it's going to be something like, you know, uh, 17 to 13.
1: Who wins the game? I got I got Stanford. Stanford winning the game. Okay, so uh, I think Eric, Mo- this is Eric Morris's game. He's the offensive coordinator at Washington State. The Washington State fans are really frustrated with him. I feel like this is his opportunity. If they're going to bounce back and have a good offensive game, they have been bad in, like, back-to-back-to-back weeks on offense, this is the game. I think Stanford – I agree with you. I think Stanford keeps it fairly close. But I think Washington State is going to find some mojo on offense. I got him getting – I have it 27-21. But, you know, as I hear you talking about the teens, maybe I'm too high there. But I think Washington State's going to score a little bit. I think uh, offensively, Stanford is going to do about what they did against Oregon State, maybe a little less. I think Washington State's defense is pretty good. But I have a a 27-21. Let's see what happens. Uh, And it's a huge game for
0: the Cougars in terms of getting bowl eligible. right? They've been stuck on four wins for weeks. And after this, they've got the Arizona schools and Washington. So if they lose – they gotta win two of those last three to get bowl eligible. And that's gonna be hard.
1: Arizona at Utah, Saturday, 4 30, Pac 12 Networks. Can I just say I'm really impressed with Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator at Utah? Because, yeah you know, I, I'm looking at his offensive line. They're okay. Running backs, unreliable. Wide receivers, so so. Tight ends, really good, but also they're hobbling around. I don't even I don't think Dalton Kincaid can raise his arm above his shoulder right now. Starting quarterback, Cam rising, he's he's a star. But he was a scratch last week. They think he's going to play this week, but we'll see. And yet, Utah finds a way to win and finds a way to score some points, enough points to win. So they're favored by 17.5 in this one. And, you know, I think they're going to beat Arizona, but I don't think they're covering the 17.5. I have it 42 31, Utah over Arizona.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, Arizona's offense is pretty good, but golly, I I can't see Arizona's, even as banged up in, is Utah is on offense. Arizona's defense is terrible. They have allowed at least forty-five points in every conference game. Uh, it, they are, they are terrible. Uh, at least the conference games they've lost, right? I mean, even Cal scored forty-nine on Arizona. Cal. So I don't know that Utah. To me, it's about this is about how many punts is Utah going to have, and I'm going to set the over/under on Utah punts. I'm going to set it at one and a half. <laughs> Um, yes. I, I just don't know that Arizona's going to be able to stop them. And then you get into rice Eccles and, yes. you know, Jane DeLore didn't play great against them. Uh, when he was with Washington state, I, I think Utah is going to flatten them. It's like 52 to 52, 20, 5220, You have
1: him covering the 17 and a half. Oh yeah. I don't. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Cal is at USC Saturday, seven 30 game ESPN. Uh, the spread USC is a 21 and a half point favorite. At home against Cal. This is uh this is Cal's last game in the in the Coliseum,
0: uh after what, a hundred years or something. So it that that to me is kind of the backdrop for all these uh the the games between the Northern California and Southern California schools, right? Um I I am not sure Cal's got enough uh to stay with them, but it's a big spread. Again, it's those these spreads when you're 20 to 30 points, it's a lot. And USC, you know, they could they could easily just kind of take take a quarter off. So I I have Cal covering, but it's a clearly a backdoor cover. I don't really think the game's going to be close.
1: I uh, I kind of see it the same way. I think Cal covers, but I think you're right. I think it's like 31-17 USC and yeah. you know, Jack Plummer's been sacked 25 times at Cal this season uh, offensive the offensive line's terrible. At the end of last week's loss to Oregon, I kind of wondered if you know, if Justin Wilcox would hand the keys to Kai Milner, the freshman. He came in and led a couple of scoring drives. He said he's not. He's staying with Jack Plummer. But I won't be surprised if Milner gets some snaps in this game. Um, I think USC is vulnerable, but you said this, and I think you're right. The bottom half of this is just not built to exploit that vulnerability. And so USC wins the game comfortably, 31-17, but I don't love them to cover the spread. I think Cal kind of sticks around enough. Maybe gets a late score, and and uh, I think the twenty one and a half is too many points. UCLA at Arizona, yeah. yeah. Go, UCLA at Arizona State, seven thirty FS one late game. This is the game. I people are tweeting at me saying, "Do you agree with Wilner on this game? Do you agree with Wilner on this game? Are you picking an upset? UCLA at Arizona State. UCLA is eleven point favorite. I am
0: picking Arizona State to win the game outright. Woo! Yes, I am. I just think part of that is that things have gone too much to form in the PAC 12 with the, you know, the top four teams winning each week. There's at some point, there's going to be an unexpected result. And I think that UCLA in a little bit of a vulnerable spot here, right? They lost a big game to Oregon, come back, take care of Stanford, business as usual. ASU is not going to, you know, they're not going to get sky high for ASU. ASU's you know not part of the conference race they're not ranked so the bruins are a little vulnerable but at the same time ASU's got they got enough playmakers on offense i think to score against a, a ucla defense that's not just not very good I, it's mostly it's just a feel like we are due for something unexpected to happen somewhere and i think ASU's got a better chance than any of the other big underdogs arizona
1: state's defense is giving up almost 30 points a game ucla's offense that's- is good I think uh, you know as much as I would love to see something squirrely happen, or you know, I we I think we need a game like that in this conference. It's the typical Pac-12 after dark result. Uh, I don't think UCLA loses this game. I, I don't think this is the one, and I think they're going to cover. I have it 42-24. Um, I know Utah fans would love to see Arizona State in an upset. I think uh, you know it would clear the path really for Oregon, USC, and Utah a little bit more. But I don't see it happening, and uh, you know. But again, this is going to be an interesting game because I have seen some moments where Arizona State kind of, kind of indicates like, hey, they're not half bad. They had some moments like that against USC. I think I thought they pressed USC a little bit. So let's see what they're playing for in this game on Saturday night. Yeah, and also interesting, right? You got both LA schools on Saturday night, right?
0: One's on ESPN, one's on one's on FS1. I think that there's something's going to happen. I better chance it's the ASU game, but one of those two games is going to be down down to the wire unexpectedly.
1: I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. We'll see how our picks go. John Wilner, you can catch him at Pac-12 Hotline.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter as well at Wilner Hotline. I'm at John Canzano BFT. And if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, make sure you subscribe. We've got some big guests coming up on the horizon. And we uh, we love uh, posting these episodes. Share them liberally with your friends and family as well.
0: Thanks for joining us, everybody.